So there. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. Why do you keep saying let us know your thoughts? Let me know your thoughts to me is a nice lead-in for So There. So There. Welcome to episode 45 of So So There. There. I'm Tom Karamitis. And I'm Gary Doyle, and uh, we have, Tom, a special episode today, don't we? Yes, another episode, a rare episode of Conversations with Legends. Yes, Conversations with Legends is where we occasionally have on legends to the show. Legends who are legendary uh, in, in their own ways. And when I say legends, I'm not exaggerating, especially in the case with our guest today, who is Anne Ramsberg. Welcome, Anne, to the pod. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Anne is a, uh, a loyal listener, one of our nine or ten Actually, we don't have nine or two, ten loyal listeners. We have nine or ten total listeners. Anne is probably one of the top two or three most loyal. Yeah, I, I, I remain loyal to the pod. <laughs> Anne takes extensive notes on each episode, I think. <laughs> and yeah, she, she does. Back to us. She does. Tom, do you have, by any chance, the letter that Anne sent uh, that, that, that prompted us to invite her on the show? Uh, I can find it while you talk. All right. Anne. So, uh, so let me talk a little bit about about Anne and why she's a legend. Anne, Anne is a legendary advertising account person. I worked with her at Kramer Crassalt for many years. Legendary karaoke performer. We have uh, performed together many times in various karaoke venues. A, a few other facts about Anne. She was thespian of the year, her senior year of high school. She was the lead singer of the band's of the band Chicks and Beer. Uh oh, everything okay there, Tom? <laughs> I think Tom was so overwhelmed by Chicks and Beer that he <laughs> Chicks and he Beer like, and 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 hunting for for emails. I'm just a little bit. Uh, I'll rise above it though. I'm a professional. I threw you a curveball. Um, yeah, Chicks and Beer, Anne was the lead singer. Um, and perhaps most impressively, in terms of her legendary accomplishments, Anne once got the autograph of Philip Michael Thomas, who was Detective Tubbs in Miami Vice, in an airport once. Yes, and if I may, it wasn't just an autograph. He actually wrote me a, l- a little something. And Ooh. he wrote... The fragrance of the rose never leaves the hand of the beholder. Oh my gosh. That reminds me a little bit of, um, what was it that our friend Jim Furr used to say? um, About the feel crushing the, remember? Yeah. Um, um, The the scent is the the forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness is the scent that the violet leaves on the heel that crushes it. Yes. And do you think Philip Michael Thomas was trying to trying to 
you know, kind of ingratiate himself with Ann Ramsberg when he wrote that? Because that sounds kind of, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, this was, what, in the 80s when that show was on? So I was young. And um, I, w- I, I was pretty impressed that he went to that, to that length of writing, you know, a little poem for me. I would have been happy if he just would have scribbled his name. Right. So did you asked for an autograph and that happened? Yes. Okay. Did he talk about, um, when you met Philip Michael Thomas, did he talk about EGOT? Do you know what EGOT is? Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony? Exactly. When Philip Michael Thomas was famous in his Miami Vice heyday, I remember reading an article about him, and that was his goal, EGOT, to win in his career in Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. Hmm. How, how, how far did he get on those? He met Anne Ramsberg. That's, uh, <laughs> that's how far he got. I'd say also uh, what he wrote to Anne was essentially the polar opposite of what Florence Henderson wrote to you, Gary Doyle. Yeah. You've got Westernality and not much else. That's another story I'm not going to go into. If, if you listen to you our podcast. into it. I did. If you, yeah. yeah, if you listen I, to our podcast, yeah, you know the, uh, the story. Anyway, Anne, welcome to So There. Thank you very much. Did you, uh, did you dig up the letter? Tom? I did. I did. Uh, Anne reached out and said, um, first, I want to provide some reassurance that your listenership hasn't entirely gone away, like you seem to imply on the pod with much endearing self-deprecation. You've still got one loyal listener in me. Next, I wanted to get your thoughts on something I've noticed running rampant in general communication these days. There is a phrase that has become so ubiquitous that I wonder how it elevated to such fame. Never in my life have I heard more people using the phrase, couldn't be more, dot, dot, dot. As in, couldn't be happier, or couldn't be more proud, or it couldn't have been easier. Wouldn't it be easier just to say, I'm happy, or I'm proud, or it was easy? Why the, name to inf- why the need to infuse the, semantics, the semantic gymnastics Are we so bored and desperate for new material that we need to make our sentence structure unnecessarily complex for fun? Have you noticed this too? I'd appreciate your thoughts. Love, Anne. Anne, would you care to elaborate on those thoughts? Sure. Yeah, I I just feel like everyone is is backflipping. Instead of saying, I'm so excited, everyone's saying, I couldn't be more excited. I, cu- I couldn't be happier. It couldn't have been easier, you know, instead of just saying like, oh, it was really easy. And, I, and, and this happens a lot. I see it a lot on LinkedIn, especially from companies or, you know, who are touting wins or awards or accolades. They say, couldn't be more excited <laughs> about our, you know, agency of the year. Couldn't couldn't be more proud of this team who, who you know won the the one show, whatever. Couldn't um, be more. Couldn't be more. My favorite LinkedIn humble brag. Could uh, honored and humbled. Mm. Couldn't be more honored and humbled to win Can Silver Lion for my Campbell Soup video. <laughs> right, right. 
Right. I just think, shouldn't, shouldn't we just be saying, it's so exciting to win a Can Lion? Or, I'm so proud of my team. But I, I guess you ha they feel compelled, you know, maybe it's the superlative that there, there's nothing else in the world that they're more proud of than this. And at that's that why they say at that moment. So I couldn't be more proud even if I tried. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of lazy syntax in our industry. That, that you, but you're right, that, that, that one is, um, it, 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 I, I cringe a little bit, this, and I have to now watch myself, because I'm not sure if I do that or not, but I need to watch myself from now on. But um, I kind of cringe a little bit the way, like, when I'll hear no worries. Like, all oh. the, no, everybody with no worries. And I think no worries started in Australia, somebody told me once. It was kind of an Australian thing to say, and it kind of caught on here. But um, I, that's another strange one to me. It's like, if, some, if, 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 if I accidentally cut you off in the grocery aisle, or you cut me off and you say, no worry, and I say, I'm sorry, no worries. I mean, it's just, it's just a, to me, it's just a strange two words to put together. Well, no worries is also a slight irritant to Gary Doyle as a, as a way of saying you're welcome. Like if, if the waitress brings you a glass of water and you say, thank you, and she goes, no worries. Well, I didn't really think you were worried. <laughs> you know, I wasn't concerned about you being worried, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear you're not worried. But, yeah. Yeah, this is your job. You know, you didn't... Uh, you didn't just rescue my family from a fire, you know? It's well, I think it's also a general, you know, Anne's notion of I couldn't be happier. Like, that's a, the hyperbole of it. I could not be happier. Instead of saying I'm, I'm happy. There's a, certain, there's a certain hyperbole in the way I think people talk. Like, I was in a meeting yesterday, and we were waiting for the last client to get on the, the Zoom, right? And, and, and she was struggling to get on Zoom, and she finally did. And the account person said, uh, oh, you're here, amazing. And was it really amazing <laughs> that she joined the Zoom? Uh, I mean... W was that more sarcasm than hyperbola? No, no, I mean, you know, this is the way people say amazing all the time. Oh, amazing, we're all here. Okay, let's start the meeting. It really wasn't amazing. Everybody showed up for the meeting. Well, you know, same, kind of the same thing as I couldn't care less. I could not care less. Now, Anne, you and Gary are both at CK, right? That's where you guys know each other from. Yes. Okay. And, at CK, and I assume CK has been in lockdown pretty much as long as everybody else has, which is like now going on over a year and a half, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think so I'm I not there anymore. You'll have to ask Gary. Oh, Oh, I, I wasn't aware of that. I, I, okay, so you guys are former co-workers. Yeah, and, and moved to Texas. Oh. Uh, am I saying Texas the right way, Anne? Texas. Yes. Well, they kind of yes. say Texas like a little edge, like, I'm from Texas. It sounds like you're doing a bit of a George W. Bush when you do that <laughs> Texas. You're kind of pursing your lips a little bit. <laughs> I kind of am. <laughs> um. And in your in your current life, are you doing nothing but Microsoft Teams calls and Zoom calls and things like that, or are you in in person with with work? Uh, I am a remote, like the rest of of the world, or most uh, of the world. 
because the reason I ask is I had an experience last weekend uh, that I was wondering if you guys have had, um, uh, and it was very strange to me. We uh, One of the account groups that I'm on, we had never actually met in person. It had just been a year and a half of working together all on Microsoft Teams. And we decided to have a little kind of dinner and drinks downtown on a nice evening about a week ago. So I found it was like an epiphany for me because these people who I had never seen in person before, I found myself staring at. It was kind of like when you're in a restaurant and you see a celebrity. You've only seen them on TV. Now you're seeing them in the flesh and you're kind of mentally comparing how they look in real life with how they've looked on your computer screen. And it was a kind of, it, it, it wasn't quite like being starstruck, but it was a little bit of that same dynamic where you kind of find yourself looking at them a lot because you've only seen them on a screen before. Have you guys experienced that? Yes, and and then you're tempted to tell the person, right? Like either, oh, you look taller, or you're you're so much taller in in person, or you look your so nose much is younger, so much larger, or, right? And is is that appropriate? Like it's not, you know, it, it's a it's a it would be an unusual thing for me to say to Gary or or you, Tom, if I never see, met you in person, Tom. I to meet you for the first time and to say to you, oh, you're much taller than I would have expected. That would be an unusual thing to say to someone if you're meeting them in person for the first time. But yet, everyone is having those thoughts because everyone is seeing each other on screen for the first time. Yeah, it's this really strange phenomenon and I wasn't expecting it and it kind of caught me by surprise. And um, you know, there is, you know, uh, you know. It sounds silly. There was a little bit of giddiness in it. You know, it was just, uh, and maybe some of it was just we were all excited because now we were outside in each other's physical presence for the first time. But um, it was there was a strange element of being a little starstruck with my coworkers. It was just, uh, it was fun, and it was it was it was, a, it was a good feeling, and it also reminded me how much I miss actually spending time in person with people and how energizing it is and how the things we take for granted about the quick little two-minute conversation when you pass somebody in the hallway never seems to happen anymore. Well, Tom Tom Karamitis is a weirdo. He, he goes into the office once a week for that reason, just to go to the office and, and see people, whereas I, I mean, I love my coworkers, but if I never went into the office again, I'd be delighted. If I worked from home the rest of my career, I'd be just delighted and, and saw my coworkers on a screen. So Tom is, Tom is kind of weird that way. I think I'm with Tom. I, 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 I would prefer to be amongst my coworkers in real life. Well, you're a weirdo, too. That's true. <laughs> feel that there's a total breakdown in boundaries now when you're just home? I mean, I, I, I actually, I enjoyed taking the, and, and granted, the train gets, gets old, especially in the winter, but having that delineation of, okay, I'm at work now. Okay, I'm, I'm focusing on this. And then, you know, you come home at night and it's okay, other than checking my email a couple more times, I'm kind of done with that part of my day. And mm. when you're at home, and I know, Gary, you love sitting on your, your front porch and, and glaring at the neighbors when they walk by during your work day, but don't you find it just gets a little bit monotonous? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, but you know, it's kind. Of, uh, uh, and I do glare at my neighbors. It's it's that's a that's a true observation. Um, I don't know. You know, you're one minute you're 
you're on the porch, you know, glaring at your neighbors, and the next minute you're answering emails and you're beginning work, and it's a seamless transition for for me. So, no, that's okay. And as you know, um, as you know, here on So There, it's, you know, much of our material, such as it is, is, uh, you know, if you will, Seinfeldian observations of humanity and life and and uh, do, you, do you have any of those to share with us? I do. I have a couple. Um, one would be uh, regarding air air travel. And I know that you two have covered, you know, do you recline? Do you not recline? What is the, what are the rules on the reclining seat? I am a non-recliner and I am offended by the recliners. Mm. Um, right. But separately... Uh, or in addition to, I, I am very surprised by the number of people who fly with a neck pillow. I like that. That's a good observation. <laughs> the neck pillow, you know, whether it's inflatable or just, you know, memory foam. I would have to think those came out, what, in the 70s or 80s? And to think that people are still buying them today and traveling with them, thinking that this neck pillow is going to afford them a sound sleep, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a required pack, packed item is just shocking to me. Have you two ever used a, a neck pillow? I have wondered about the neck pillow. I have never used the neck pillow. Yeah, I me neither because they make you look ridiculous. But also, I think people who sleep with neck pillows tend to sleep with their mouth open. So you know they'll either have their head leaning back against the neck pillow or off to the side, and their their, their mouth will be hanging open with this big gaping maw. And I don't want to be that person. So no, I don't use a neck pillow. I don't I don't sleep on flights in general, so I have a hard time sleeping standing up. But yeah, and there and the profit margin on those must be huge. They're like twenty dollars in the. Uh, in the airport gift store, right? Yeah, they're not they're not cheap. <laughs> and do they a, another thing I was wondering about about them, do they count as your personal item? Cuz you can only carry on your your suitcase and, and one personal item. Does that count as your personal item or do you circumvent that rule by actually wearing it as an accessory when you get on the plane? So you're, you know, you're confusing, you're pulling a fast one on the, on the person at the gate. It's like, she looks at you, she sees your, your suitcase, your briefcase, and that, you know, fancy accessory, you know, accoutrement around your neck. Your inflatable a, necklace. Right. right. <laughs> That's a baller maneuver to get on the plane with your neck, pillow around your neck. But most people do, don't they? I mean, it seems like when you're sitting there and you're watching people board, the, the, the neck pillow enthusiasts seem to be well it seems to be already on their person as they walk down the aisle don't you think yeah more times than not yes they're they're wearing it in in the the gate area a legend like ann ransberg would never wear a neck pillow no i would not I also applaud, and I and I agree with you about the the recline thing. I'm I'm I, I don't ever recline, and I don't like when people recline in front of me. My my basic feeling on a plane is I I don't want to have 
and this is part of the antisocial nature of my personality, I want to have as little to do with my seatmates as I can, meaning I want a window seat so that I probably I don't have to ask to climb over them to go to the bathroom because um, I, I usually don't go to the bathroom on the flight. And then I, I, I usually keep my arm off the shared armrest as well because I don't want to have that awkward elbow competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, um, yeah that to me, um, just put me in my little corner. And I won't bother you. And if you start a conversation with me, I'll, I'll converse, but I'm not going to start generally a conversation on the plane with a stranger. I read an article once where the airplanes do not take a stand either way on recliners. So they don't, they don't say, well, that's a good or bad thing. And the reason for that is, is because they sell the person the seat, and theoretically it's their right to move it back because seats recline, right? And theoretically they paid for that seat. However, the airplane pitches keep getting narrower and narrower and smaller and smaller, and so they don't want to come out on the side of the of the per, of the recliner because they know that people who are being reclined upon more and more have less and less room and they'll piss them off so it's they can't take a stand on this either way they have to be uh sweden i've often wondered if there will come a day where planes forego the recline option altogether and just make it a non-issue Will we ever get to that point where the the seats don't recline at all? Totally. And would that be a better experience? I I, I, I totally agree. And I've wondered that myself because it seems like there's a lot of... uh, That recline feature seems to be the source of a lot of um, glares and, you know, conflict sometimes between passengers. Why not just, you know, especially on shorter flights it really is, is is going back two inches really going to make a dr- dramatic difference in your in your comfort so i'm, I'm kind of surprised they haven't just deactivated the recline feature i know there's something that you used to be able to buy online which would render the person's seat in front of you non-reclinable it was some oh, kind yeah. of bracket or something Remember oh that yeah thing? oh yeah it exists it, it, that's a thing that some people use yeah and that article i read about the Arla- airlines talked about that now, some people use that and infuriates the piece and the person who wants to recline wow um <laughs> but yeah i once flew frontier which is a low rent kind of airline and they had non-reclining seats probably because it was a low rent airline and i loved it it was a delight because nobody could recline mm-hmm. they were all fixed positions you know I think the worst, what I find the most annoying about recliners, and I'm on the anti-reclining side, but it's the, the worst uh, transgression is when people in exit rows recline. So they've got unlimited legroom in front of them, like two feet of legroom, and yet they recline back into your space. That is just, that is just, I, I had somebody do that once on a plane, and I actually, they were working, and I saw their email on their computer, and I sent them an email. And I, later on, I said, you know, you really shouldn't recline your seat, um, you know, when you're in, a, when in an exit row. Did you get a response? I did. I did. Uh, it was actually a polite response. They were like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. So, you know, perhaps a little teachable moment there. The only nod I would give to the recliners um, of the world is that I think if, if, if you're not reclining and you doze off, you're going to end up probably doing that endless head bob thing where your head falls forward and then you wake up. So having a slight recline helps that angle maybe so your head doesn't fall into your chest. So maybe that's what the neck pillow is for. Cushions the fall. Oh, I thought that, okay. 
So there. Well, that's that's a fine observation, Tom, uh, Anne, and and I'd like to share uh, something. Um, since we're both karaoke people, at used at least Tom Caramidas used to be before he retired to sit in his hotel room on uh, on on business trips. But um, yeah, uh, I'd like to uh, you know in the form of this. Um, Thing we call lightning round on so there I'd like to share some rules of karaoke and see if you all agree all right let's do a lightning round of rules of karaoke rule number one you have to power through the song if you get up there and sing and if you realize the song is not for you, either it's too long or not in your key or you're making a fool of yourself, you cannot leave the stage. You have to power through. That's one rule of karaoke. Rule number two, the true karaoke performer does not do a duet with somebody else, does not do a group performance where you're up there with four other drunk people, you know, singing New York, New York, whatever. No, the true karaoke uh, performer performs on their own up there on stage you know, vulnerable uh, to the world. That's number two. Number three, um, props separate you from the pack. If there's bongo drums on stage, if there's a saxophone, is it anything you can interact with? Props se- separate you from the pack. And finally, uh, rule number four, you don't have to play to the crowd. You know, a lot of people will sing uh, whatever, a real crowd pleaser, you know, but... Uh, you know, Tom Karamidas will tackle All By Myself by Eric Carmen, which has a, a four-minute piano solo in the middle where Tom would go to the edge of the stage, sit down, and brood. Uh, or, uh, you know, we, Tom and I have made the crowd uncomfortable singing along, uh, singing Ebony and Ivory. Two white men, and no one's quite sure who's Ebony and who's Ivory. So, uh, you know, you don't have to play to the crowd. You can make them uncomfortable. Those are my four rules of karaoke. So there. There's a lot to unpack there. I think uh, if, since Anne is also a karaoke aficionado, I'd like to get her take on some of those things. Well, I largely agree with Gary on most things, especially on things related to karaoke, but I'm going to disagree with him on the, the solo performance. I do think a duet uh, can bring a lot of energy to the room. Uh, so I, 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 I agree the group, you know, you don't want 10 people on stage singing Don't Stop Believing. <laughs> but I think two people maybe singing Shallow oh, that's true. Is, is, a, is a great one. Now, conversely, two people singing Sundown by Gordon Lightfoot would, would not be a good good choice and and just hypothetically speaking Anne is making these references because we have sung both of those songs together on stage so she she revealed gary doyle to be a hypocrite uh so we have sung those together on stage and we we did clear the room by the way when we sang (laughs) sundown by gordon lightfoot i think that emptied out the bar yeah and gary you'll recall that you and i have sung uh where is the love by i think roberta flack as a duet as well that That's made the audience one. uncomfortable the, as well. I, I would probably qualify that that, that one comment that um, I think 
a lot if, if doing a duet is is the way to dip your toes in the karaoke pond then as as a first timer then i i'm probably a little more open to it because some people just don't want to get up there and it's easier if you're getting up there with a friend uh the other the other exception i'd make is yeah if it's a song that makes sense to do as a duet like ebony and ivory then yeah i think that makes sense as well but other than that i i would probably agree that you know swallow your medicine get up there and embarrass yourself one thing I'll mention about Anne Ramsberg that uh, she, that also makes her legendary, she is uh, an extraordinarily versatile karaoke performer. She has tackled um, Helen Reddy, I Am Woman. She has tackled Bob Seger and, uh, uh, and, and Loretta Lynn, coal miner's daughter. So that three distinct genres, and she's tackled them all with aplomb. When Ann tackles Bob Seger, for some reason that nobody understands, she does not sing like a, a crowd pleaser you might expect of a Bob Seger song, like old time rock and roll, or no, she sings uh, Still the Same. A totally innocuous <laughs> deep track. A deep track that Ann feels compelled to sing. I, it is my favorite Bob Seger song, so. I made the mistake of doing a karaoke song on a song I really liked, but then I quickly realized that really the only thing I knew about the song was the chorus, and it was in such an odd time, the rest of the song was in such an odd time signature that I got lost, and Gary, I think, was there for Aha, Take On Me. Oh. All I really knew was, you know, the chorus part, but the rest of it, if you ever listen to it, it's like every other line is sung on the downbeat, it's just kind of... It's kind of, and I was flustered. I I had a, a karaoke um, shame moment, but you powered through. Unlike the the pods art director Jim Fur, who once fled the stage <laughs> when uh, when <laughs> when tackling "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" by Wham. <laughs> he panicked and fled the stage. Another observation that I have made, this is recent, this was within the last, I'm gonna say week. Um, we watch a lot of soccer in my house. My son plays soccer, my husband used to play soccer. American football, you might call it. <laughs> but the men are now wearing sports bras under their jerseys. Whoa, whoa. What are you you can see you can see them under the jersey and then at the end of the game if they remove their jerseys now they're just dudes in sports bras so this is professional soccer this is or? professional yes wow yes. premier and, league and major league yes yeah, premier it's, league's it's, the big one yeah. yeah, Tom, and you don't have the benefit of seeing Tom on the FaceTime his face when you said men wear sports bras. Yeah. <laughs> now, why do you think they do that? I don't. I don't know. Hmm. Um, I, that's why I wanted to bring it up today because I can't think of a single reason why. Yeah, I mean, I don't even. Is is it a are are there sports bras made for men? I, I keep going back to the Seinfeld episode when George's father had kind of 
man breasts and and Kramer was gonna design the man's ear for him but I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's what you're talking about so when they when when a, when a when a soccer player scores a goal and they run around and they sometimes they'll they'll, they'll rip off their jersey does, are they just now just having their sports bra on as they run Correct. around or yeah yeah so I guess one of the one of the common things that happens in soccer is at the end of the game you switch jerseys with the other team as a like good game nice playing with you you know good luck they switch jerseys and now when they go through the process to switch jerseys they're they're removing their jerseys and then they're just standing around in their sports bras and they are they look to be every bit as identical as a sports bra that a, a woman would wear same design same racer back you know i i i, hmm. I it's it's alarming is hmm. it another branding opportunity for a sponsor is it like under armor or nike hmm. or somebody with their logos all over it or are they, i everybody didn't wear their own? notice i okay. didn't notice they were plain white the ones that that i was seeing yeah that's kind of alarming you know i obviously professional athletes don't have the the, the man boobs that tom speaks of for from the seinfeld episode they don't have that to worry about they're very they're very fit the, may I ask, do your husband and son wear man bras? <laughs> they do not. <laughs> does Jay do wear? Not. Does Jay wear a man bra? <laughs> Gary, this is not. none of your business. He does not, nor would he be allowed to. Jay, next time you see me, don't punch me in the face. <laughs> But I can't think of a reason why these men are wearing sports bras under their jersey. Hmm. And it's it's it wasn't just a few, and it wasn't just one of one team. It is, and my of course I asked my husband about it. I was like, "What is going on?" And he said, "Yes, it's a new it's a new thing." Uh, the only thing I would, and I'm just racking my brain here, but is there, is it to prevent um, nipple chase chafage against the sweaty jersey as they're running around? Perhaps, yeah, that, that uh, perhaps. I mean, that's I mean, but I don't, the reason. I, but I, I don't think I've, well, you know, do marathon runners, male marathon runners wear sports, but I don't but I, I don't know because they don't take their jerseys off. But that's I had never seen that. I'm gonna have to look for that now. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Well, I don't think I've seen sp male sports bras sold in like my local Dick's Sporting Goods. I have to. I didn't know they they made them. <laughs> well, there I'm are short circuiting here. This is this is uh, this is. Uh, I can't wrap my head around it. I. Why would you need that? There are men that wear makeup, right? I mean, that's kind of growing, and uh, men that wear makeup, and maybe, uh, maybe this more men want to be like women. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some of our five or six other listeners can weigh in on this and <laughs> send us a note at so there at yahoo.com and enlighten us collectively. Well. And this has been a delight. I'd like to thank you for uh, an hour of your life in uh, in Texas that you're not ever going to get back. Thank <laughs> you, uh, thank you for spending it with us. It has been my pleasure. 
Well, and thank you again. And uh, Gary, as always, thank you. And until next time, for Anne and Gary, this is Tom saying, So there!